Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. This morning we're going to continue in our series. Uh, So far we have dealt with the sins of pride, envy, gluttony, anger, And this morning, we're going to look at the next one on our list that has really crept in and seems to have a stronghold, uh, especially on our American society today, and that is the sin of greed. You know, at the end of our time here on earth, our lives are going to be defined by one of two words, greedy or generous, when it comes right down to it. Either our lives are going to be about ourselves or our lives are going to be about others. That's really it. You know, the opposite of greed is generosity. And as I stated at the the beginning of this series, this series is all about allowing God to replace the negative things in our life, sinful things, with positive, godly things. God wants to replace greed with generosity. And as we read through God's Word, the Bible challenges us over and over to live a life of generosity. It is woven all throughout His Word. It's all up to us individually as to whether our lives are going to be defined by generosity or by greed. You know, there are literally hundreds of verses in the New Testament that speak about us being a generous people, but... uh, I think if you had to try and condense it all down into just one verse of Scripture, I think we could do that with nine simple words that were spoken by Jesus that we find in Acts 20, 35. Nine words, and those words he spoke are this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you are counting the words? I was just kidding. I knew, I know there's always someone. I, know, I counted them, it's nine. You know, when I think about greed, I think about living life with a closed fist. This is the dominant lifestyle in our society today. Greedy, closed-fisted living. And closed-fisted living, it always wants to say the same thing. Mine, mine, mine. How many have seen (laughs) Finding Nemo? It's all about it's mine, right? It's mine and you can't have it. But there is a very counter-cultural way that we can live a New Testament life that we could call open-handed living, an open-handed way of life. It's spoken of all throughout the New Testament. I mean, a, a New Testament life is a life that says this, God, what you have given me is really all yours. It's all yours. It's not mine, mine, mine. And I'm going to use what you have given me, and I'm going to make a difference with it for your glory, not mine. God wants us to realize that our highest level of living has nothing to do with acquiring things, which is what our society today would have us believe, right? But the highest level of living has everything to do with giving things. Our highest level of living is generous living. And God calls us to live a life of significance, and I don't think there's anything more significant than living a life of generosity. 
There are some huge differences between greed and generosity. First of all, greed is the trigger of paranoia. When we're greedy, we're always paranoid that somebody is going to take what we have. Generosity is the trigger of prosperity. Nothing is going to make you richer in God's eyes and in the eyes of those that you know than sharing what God has given you. Greed is very dehydrating. It literally robs us of life. But generosity is very contagious and it gives birth to new life. How many of you several years ago saw a movie called Pay It Forward? Does that ring a bell? Pay It Forward, I thought was kind of an, had an interesting premise. The basic premise of the movie was that there was this grade school kid and he was given an assignment by the teacher a simple assignment, come up with an idea that will change the world. They all had the same assignment. Well, this kid, he actually, he comes up with this idea and he calls it the idea of paying it forward. And basically what that means is, is if someone did an act of kindness to you, instead of you concentrating on trying to pay them back for that act of kindness, you would pay it forward by doing three random acts of kindness to three different people. So the whole idea started to catch on, and before long, paying it forward becomes this nationwide cultural movement. It's on the news. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Acts of kindness and generosity uh, are, are birthing triple acts of generosity, and the whole thing just begins to uh, begin to explode exponentially across the nation, and it literally does begin to change the world, and the kid becomes this national hero, and then right at the end of the movie, some playground bullies stab him in the stomach and kill him, and it's a cute little movie the whole family is sure to enjoy. I said it was interesting. I didn't say it ended well, right? It's a weird ending. But my point this morning is if you decide to live a life of generosity and I decide to live a life of generosity, if all of us decide to be generous people, we can certainly make an impact in the world around us. You know, Jesus did it with 12 people. That 12 led to 120 that 120 soon became 3,000 and eventually tens of thousands to millions today who choose to live an open-handed lifestyle, a life that says, God, what's mine is yours and I'm going to freely share it with people around me to make a difference for you. Now, if God could do all of that 2,000 years ago with 12 people, man, what could, what could Calvary Temple do with 400 people or more? Let's start a revolution. Let's change the defining word of a generation from greed to generosity. Amen? It makes a difference in the world. I want to look for a little bit at what generous living really means. What, uh, I want to give you four areas this morning that I think uh, define generous living. The first one is generous living means being generous with our time. Generosity begins with what we are going to do with the time that God has given us. And time is one of the greatest gifts that God has given any of us. Amen? 
Think about it. Every day, he gives you 86,400 seconds of time. Every day, you've got over 86,000 seconds of time just lying around waiting to be used. You may say, well, that's not very long. Oh, it's a long time. Ten seconds is a long time. If you don't believe ten seconds is a long time, do this. Get your skin right here by your wrist and just pinch it as hard as you can for ten seconds. And I think you'll find that ten seconds is a pretty long time. You can do a lot in 10 seconds. Imagine what you can do in 86,400 seconds every day. You know, you've heard it said that none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, and that is right. The only time we have for sure is right now. That is the truth, right? I mean, you could walk right out these doors this morning, right out the front door of our church. You could get run over by a Mack truck. Why a Mack truck would be running across the steps of our church, I don't know. But anything is possible. Anything is possible. The only time we're guaranteed is the time we have been given right now. So the key is to make the best use of our time. That's why I have a DVR hooked up to my TV. I can watch a half-hour show in 22 minutes, a one-hour show in 44 minutes, because, I don't know if you know this, for every 30 minutes of TV programming, there's eight minutes of commercials. Who's glad you came to church today? And man, if I'm watching a football game or a basketball game, I can shave like an hour and a half off of it, right off the top. A really great prayer for all of us to pray throughout the day would be this. God, what is the best use of my time right now? Pray it in the morning. Pray it throughout the day when you get home from work because if we don't understand how to best use our time, we're going to miss out on things that God has intended for our life. There's a great story in the Bible. I've preached on it several times. You've heard it preached on many, many times about a guy who really understood how to best use his time. It's usually referred to as the story of the Good Samaritan. The Bible never actually mentions anyone's name. But that story is about a Jewish man who was walking on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho when all of a sudden he was attacked and viciously beaten, bloody, left there to die. And three different people come in contact with him as he's laying there bloody and beaten. The first one was a priest. The priest just walked right by the guy like he was heading to a fire, didn't even slow down. The second was a Levite. Levites were actually supposed to be held to a higher standard than priests were. And the Levite simply crossed over to the other side of the road so that he wouldn't have any contact with the man. And the third one was, of course, a Samaritan, a guy from Samaria. People from Samaria generally hated the Jews. And likewise, the Jews hated Samaritans because they had been so viciously cruel to the Jews on so many occasions. And so the Samaritan stopped to help this man who's lying beaten and bloody in the street. He, he, he kind of seals up his wounds. He puts him up in a hotel. He pays for room service. He even leaves some additional money and says, I'll be back in a few days to check on you. So after Jesus finished telling this story, he asked the disciples, he said, now which of these three do you think you should act like? Well, the disciples, you know, they were pretty smart. So they said, well, we should act like the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, right, go and do likewise. 
Jesus is saying that all of us should be very quick to help those that we see, that we come in contact with, that we see are in need. What separated the Samaritan from the other two guys was that he decided to use his time in the best way possible. Because I have to think, chances are very good, the Samaritan was probably in a hurry also. You know, anytime we're going somewhere, we all feel like we're kind of in a hurry, right? No one's ever out just lollygagging along. He was probably in a hurry. He was headed somewhere. We know that this road was apparently not the safest road to be traveling on. And, and secondly, he was, we, we know he was headed somewhere. He wasn't just out for a stroll. He didn't wake up and say, you know, I think I'll just go out and take a little walk, see if I can find anybody bloody and beaten up laying alongside the road. That's not how his day started. He must have been praying that prayer. God, what's the best use of my time? What would that do in our lives if we all continuously prayed that prayer? God, help me right now make the best use of my time. And because this good Samaritan used his time in the best way, we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. As a matter of fact, most people who have never read the Bible or have never even attended church have heard the phrase, a good Samaritan. That guy's a good Samaritan. We even have a law named after him. How many of you are familiar with the Good Samaritan Law? That's what it's called, the Good Samaritan Law. It simply states if you stop to help someone who's been hurt or injured in some kind of accident and you accidentally end up hurting them worse than they were, you can't be held accountable because you were simply trying to respond to a need. You know, in other words, if you pull up and somebody's in a horrible accident and, and you think the car is about ready to explode into flames and so you're going to pull this person out of the car what you don't know is both their legs have been severed and you just tug and tug and you pull them out but you pop their legs off well the good news is see you cannot be held accountable for that or sued uh, because frankly you know at this point the guy didn't have a leg to stand on but but you know, you know I have a sixth sense of humor that shouldn't catch you that far off guard. It's, it's a little warped. We're... So once again, let me say that what we do with our time, it does matter. It does matter what we do with our time. Because your time is your life. And if you want it to matter, we have to use it with God's purpose. You know, as far as CT Church goes, there's all kinds of ways that you can be generous with your time. Ushers, greeters, nursery workers, children's church workers, summer you teachers, life group leaders, life group attenders, Wednesday night meal, worship team members, helping hands ministry, safety and security team. I mean, the list, it's a pretty long list. I think that 1 Corinthians 15.58 sums it up very nicely. It says, it says this, And don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Lord, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. You know, sometimes we can get to thinking that, you know, I'm just spinning my wheels here. No, you're not. You're making a difference in the kingdom of God. Don't grow weary in doing good the blessing is going to come into your life. 
Here's the second area of our life that defines generous living. Generous living means being generous with our talents. God has given us, each of us, talents and abilities to change our world, but how often do we choose not to use them? You know, I have to think sometimes God looks down at us and He thinks, look at all I've given you. Look at all of your abilities. Look at your personality, your health, your strength. If you would just stop and notice all that I have given you, you'd surely realize that you don't have a choice but to use it for what, use what I've given you to make a difference in the world around. Use it to make a difference. God created all of us One, to do good things. He created us to be good people. To do good work. So if we want to live our life at the highest level, we have to use what He has given us to do good things. Now a lot of times when we hear the word talent... You know, too often we immediately, what comes to mind is, well, you know, singing, playing an instrument, or that sort of thing. But God has given us all, all sorts of different talents. You know, maybe uh, aesthetic talents. Maybe you're good at decorating things. Intellectual talents. You're just good at figuring things out. Mechanical talents. You can just take something and fix it organizational talents. You're good at putting things together, event planning, just all sorts of talents, different talents that God has given everyone in the body of Christ. And when we use them together for good, incredible things begin to happen. It could be a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So we can help each other. Now, here's the deal. You, you know, you, you can make a living by your, using your talents, and, and you should. But here's something important that we all need to recognize. You make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. You make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. You use your talents and your abilities to make a living However, you also use those same talents and abilities to help those around you, to to work in the church, which in turn is serving the kingdom. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. I would easily say that one of the main goals at, at CT Church is to help everyone to use their talent to serve. Someone might be thinking, well, our main goal should be to save the lost. But think about this. The truth is that unless we are all working together using our talents, if we don't do that, before long, this church would cease to exist and there would be nobody to be saved here. It starts with us serving. If you have a talent, and we know you do because the Bible tells us so, we all have at least least one, and you're not using it, here's all you need to do. Let me know. We'll put you to work. We'll find a place for you using your talent. We'll take care of it. Because every one of us has been called to be a minister. Maybe you haven't been called to be a pastor. There is a difference. But we've all been called to be ministers of His gospel. Ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
So those are the first two areas of generous living. And now I'll spend just a little bit of time on probably the most talked about area of generous living in all of the New Testament. In fact, Jesus had more to say about this area of generosity than he had to say about any other subject in the Bible. Who wants to guess what that subject is? I knew you'd all say money, but we're not going to use the word money. We're going to use the word treasure. Because I've got this little thing going with T's. Time, talents, treasure. See, money kind of messes it all up. So, Time, talent, treasure. Generous living means being generous with your treasure. Jesus said that this is where the rubber really meets the road because you can be generous with your time, you can be generous with your talents, but if you're greedy with your treasure, you have closed your fist. And when you close your fist, you cut yourself off from receiving God's blessing. You can't receive anything when your fist is locked shut. You can't receive something unless your hand is open. So being generous with our money is really the only antidote to materialism and greed. So Jesus tells us that the very foundation of being generous with our treasure begins with a tithe. Now, some people hear the word tithe and they act like it's a dirty word. They can go running for the doors. But Jesus wants you to know that tithing is the very foundation of your financial success and blessing in many, many other areas of your life. And then some people will argue, well, that tithing, see, that was an Old Testament thing. That was Old Testament teaching. But even Jesus himself gave tithing a very strong endorsement. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, you should tithe. That's pretty bold, right? Pretty black and white, right? You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important thing. So he's saying there's, there's even some, um, generous, uh, some generous living that even goes above tithing. We'll talk about that in just a second. Let me say that Jesus is saying that tithing is the very foundation. Our generous, our generous living is then built upon that. But the tithe, that's a given, according to Jesus. He says, absolutely, tithe. But generous living is then built on top of that. You know, we haven't begun to be generous or given, giving anything sacrificially until after we have paid our tithe. Because that's God's in the first place. Keep in mind that a tithe simply means a tenth. We are to give back to God the first tenth of what he has blessed us with. You know, the only reason that you and I are able to earn anything at all is because of the talents and the abilities that God has given us. Amen? Therefore, he says, you are to take the first 10% of what you earn and give it back to him. You are to bring in the tithe. And obedience to that command brings incredible blessing into our lives. Not just financial blessings, blessings in every area of our life. But refusing to obey that command, it ultimately brings curse upon our life. 
There's no getting around it. So that's what tithing is, giving back to God our first 10%. Sacrificial and generous giving is built upon that. A lot of times we get to feel an awful proud of ourselves and we think we're incredibly generous because we're tithing to God, but that's His money. We're just giving back to Him what is already His. So that doesn't make us generous. That simply makes us not a thief. But when we become generous, when we are giving sacrificially, it's above and beyond that which was already God's in the first place. That we were just simply being obedient in giving back to Him. Sacrificial giving, special offerings, giving to missions. You know, many times... Down through the years, I've met with people who are going through financial difficulties, and and so often I've heard, you know, Pastor, we'd love to give demissions or special offerings, but the fact is, I can't even pay my tithe. And from looking at it from a a human perspective, it's very easy to understand why people think that. They they do the math, they add it up, there's there's not a 10% left after they've paid all their bills. But I'm just telling you, my response has always been the same. And that is, you'll never have money to give until you've been faithful with your tithe. Don't ask me how God does it, because He does it differently in almost everyone's life. But I'm telling you, He just does it. It's it's His promise to us that if we will be faithful in this area of our life, He's going to take care of us. He's going to meet our needs. It's the only area of the Bible where God explicitly tells us to test him. He says, test me in this and see if what I'm saying is not true. It's the only promise in God's word where he challenges us to test him. So we don't even have to have faith that it's really going to work. We could be skeptical and say, well, this is probably not going to work. But, you know, you tell me to test him. It's, one, it's the only area I can think of in God's Word where He's going to respond and bless our lives even if we're doing it with some skepticism. We don't even have faith that it's going to work. He says, test me in it. He would only be saying, test me, to people who don't have faith in it, right? If we fully believe it, we don't have to feel like we're being tested. We, we believe it's true. So that word test means He's speaking to someone who doesn't have faith that it's really going to happen. Test me in it. In other words, he's saying, I know you don't believe it, so just test me. And you will be amazed at what God begins to do in your life. So, God is saying to us, yes, I I know you don't think you're able to do this or, or to do that. That's why I'm telling you, test me, see if I won't make your life better through your act of obedience. The main goal of our generous Giving should be to invest in something that's going to outlast us. And when we invest in the kingdom of God, that is what we're doing. We're investing in something that's going to outlive ourselves. You know, in one of the most famous passages of Scripture on this particular topic, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. 
For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We've heard that verse hundreds of times probably. If you've grown up in church, you've heard that verse over and over. But it is so incredibly true. If we're all busy about storing up treasures here on, here on earth, we're not going to have any treasure in heaven. There probably won't be heaven to experience if that's what our life has, all, has been about. It's storing up treasure in heaven. When we give into the kingdom, we're giving towards something that has eternal purpose, that makes eternal differences in people's lives. You know, we all, the greedier we get, the more paranoid we get. That's why insurance companies are so wealthy. Because we're all worried someone's going to steal our stuff. So we insure them to make sure no one gets our stuff. So how do we, how do, we do this? By, by giving our tithe and giving to special offerings, things like missions, uh, as Brian mentioned, our Convoy of Hope offering is coming up just a month from now. It, it'll be on Easter Sunday. You know, we used to receive that the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Last year, we changed it to Easter. I believe uh, when we give to help those in need, it creates new life and new hope in people's hearts and in their lives. And, I, and we just thought, you know, Easter is, is a perfect time to receive our one day to feed the world offering. If you're new to Calvary Temple, I think this will be our ninth uh, one day to feed the world offering. The challenge is this, for, for the next month, Save back one day's wage. You do the math. You figure out what you earn a year and divide it by the number of days that you work. And you save back one day's wages. And on Easter Sunday morning, we'll collect our one day. And I'll tell you, Convoy of Hope is, they are responding to uh, some of the largest disasters right now that they have ever faced. Uh, the press isn't even covering uh, many of these disasters that have taken place and flooding uh, around the world. And uh, it, is a, it is a monumental task. But this is an organization that is usually a first responder. When there's disaster around the world, Convoy of Hope is there with plane loads, semi-truck loads of food, medical supplies, all sorts of materials, and it is very, very fertile soil for us to plant into. Amen? So we, beginning today, we have a month to Easter when we receive our one day to feed the world offering. I just threw that in for free, okay? So it brings us to our last area of generous living. Generous living also means being generous with our testimony. And here's an area where some people get real stingy. They're just scared to death to share to someone else what God has done in their life. But the truth is, we've all been created to be ministers, and along with that job description comes being a witness of what God has done in our life. Being able to give testimony to someone what God has done in our life. God wants us to be very quick in our willingness to share how He has made a difference in our life telling others how God has blessed us and changed us, and telling those about what a relationship with Jesus will do in their life. 
Sometimes it can be a difficult thing, especially if you're not used to doing it. You know, anything that we don't do very often, generally we don't do all that well. It takes practice, doesn't it? Get, sharing your testimony is no different than any other talent you have. In order to get good at it, you need to practice. You need to use it. Oftentimes, it's a lot easier for us to talk to someone about the weather or sports or, you know, politics. You name it. Than it is to share about our relationship with Jesus Christ. But it shouldn't be that way. It should come naturally. But just like our money, we have come to the point in our life where we're willing to share our faith with others and not be closed-fisted with our testimony. We have to be open-handed with that as well. You know, according to the Barna Research Group, which is a research group, a uh, uh, Christian-based organization, the most common reason that people don't share their testimony is because they've never taken time to just kind of think it out. That's a pretty easy process. Take, set some time aside and just think about how you would present your testimony with someone. Think it out. Rehearse it. There's nothing wrong with that. And begin to practice and begin to use it. The number one reason most people don't share their testimony, they just haven't taken the time to kind of think it out. A really great assignment for everyone would be to take time this week, write down what your relationship has done in your life. It doesn't have to be a 50,000 word essay. It could simply be a paragraph or two. Just being ready is the key to generous living. Amen? Just being ready is the key to generous living. Being ready to give of your time. Being ready to give of your talents. Being ready to give of your treasure, being ready to give of your testimony. All of this together, it allows you to live this life of generosity and it allows you to be incredibly blessed by God. How many of you want to be blessed by God? Guess what? Here's the good news. You're in charge of that. You're in charge of whether you're going to live a life that's blessed by God. You get to pick or choose. Here's my prayer this week, found in the book of Philemon. It's Philemon 1.6. It says, And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. That's a great prayer. I'm praying you'll put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. What makes us generous people? Having faith that God is going to meet all of our needs. And as you understand and you experience all the good things that we have in Christ, when you begin to experience that, you just naturally want to tell someone about it. It goes hand in hand. We have to learn Society tells us if you want to really grab the big brass ring in life, you live your life like this. But you know what? You can never grab the, br the big br brass ring when your hand is all closed. That big brass ring represents ultimate success. 
But you can't grab it with a closed hand. We have to learn to open the hand. And when we live our life with an open hand, willing to give of ourselves, that's when we experience ultimate success in life. Amen? doesn't mean we're going to be the richest person in the world. It means we're going to be highly successful in our journey with God. And in eternity, that's going to be worth so much more. So much more. Amen? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.